Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. The moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Born in Lexington, Massachusetts in 1810, Theodore Parker was a Unitarian minister and transcendentalist, reformer, and abolitionist. These words are an adaptation of his affirmation that the anti-slave cause would triumph. I do not pretend to understand the moral universe, he said. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but a little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight. I can divine it by conscience. And from what I see, I am sure it bends toward justice. 100 years later, in his speech, Remaining Awake Through a Great Revolution, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I'm thinking today about three waypoints on that arc, three moments whose anniversaries all fall in the month of June, three distinct places and times where that arc was bent. Chronologically, they are Juneteenth, Loving Day, and the Stonewall Riots. And lest we forget, each of them confirms this indisputable fact. The arc only bends if we bend it. Justice only comes if we take it into our own two hands. We all know the shameful and shattering legacy of slavery in the United States. We also know that we have not arrived at the end of slavery in this country. But in the spirit of celebrating progress in bending the arc, here is the story of Juneteenth to strengthen us for the journey and lift us up as we travel this road we are building as we walk on it. On June 19, 1865, in Galveston, Texas, Union Army General Gordon Granger proclaimed freedom from slavery. Juneteenth, also known as Emancipation Day, Jubilee Day, Liberation Day, and Freedom Day, honors that great moment and is now celebrated throughout the United States. Yes, almost two and a half years earlier, President Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation had officially outlawed slavery in every state. But in Texas, the most remote of the slave states, its enforcement was slow and uneven. 
It should be said that slavery was still legal in Delaware and Kentucky until later in 1865 when the 13th Amendment to the Constitution abolished chattel slavery, the ownership of human beings. And the Choctaw, who had sided with the Confederacy, did not release those who had been enslaved until 1866. Nevertheless, General Granger's proclamation was a watershed. Its language is surprisingly modern. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves, and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that of employer and hired labor. One year later, formerly enslaved people in Texas organized the first Juneteenth celebration and used the opportunity to disseminate voting instructions. In some segregated cities where black people were barred from using public parks because of state-sponsored segregation, they pooled their funds to buy land where they could celebrate. In 1872, having raised $1,000, the equivalent of almost $22,000 today, black leaders purchased 10 acres of land, now known as Houston's Emancipation Park. The celebration grew thousands of people and continued to grow. Juneteenth is now the longest-running African-American holiday and has been called America's second Independence Day. In addition to a retelling of the history and a celebration of food with African-American influences, Juneteenth remains a holy day of voter registration. Historian Mitch Kachem elucidates its three goals, to celebrate, educate, and agitate. And there's a concerted effort to make it a new national holiday, both commemorating the Day of Liberation for enslaved Americans and illuminating the continued struggle for black liberation. Human rights activist Coretta Scott King reminds us, freedom is never really won. You earn it and win it in every generation. We are still traveling on the moral arc of the universe. Juneteenth celebrates a time when that arc was bent toward justice. In 1958, Mildred Jetter Loving, a mixed race Rappahannock, Cherokee, Portuguese, and black woman, married Richard Loving, a white man. Their families were friends Mildred and Richard met when she was 11 and he was 17. Their wedding was in Washington, D.C. They returned to their hometown in Virginia where the Racial Integrity Act of 1924 defined a white person as someone who has no trace whatsoever of any blood other than Caucasian and prohibited interracial marriage. The Loving's marriage was illegal. At two o'clock one morning, local authorities forcibly entered their home and arrested them. Found guilty of charges of cohabiting as man and wife against the peace and dignity of the Commonwealth, they were convicted of miscegenation 
a felony and sentenced to a year in jail. They avoided incarceration only by leaving Virginia and agreeing not to return for 25 years. The Lovings moved to Washington, D.C. and began legal action by writing to U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy, who referred the case to the American Civil Liberties Union. The Supreme Court of Appeals in Virginia ruled that the state had an interest in preserving the racial integrity of its constituents. Richard Loving sent a message to the judges. Tell the court, I love my wife, and it is just not fair that I cannot live with her in Virginia. On June 12, 1967, under Chief Justice Earl Warren, the United States Supreme Court ruled unanimously in favor of the young couple striking down all the anti-miscegenation laws remaining in the 16 United States. Under our Constitution, wrote Chief Justice Warren, the freedom to marry or not marry a person of another race resides with the individual and cannot be infringed upon by the state. Some 36 years later, the passage from the loving decision that says the freedom to marry has long been recognized as one of the vital personal rights essential to the orderly pursuit of happiness was invoked in the fight to legalize same-sex marriage. The loving decision was hailed as a milestone in the civil rights movement. It not only ended prohibitions on interracial marriage, but also dealt a major blow to segregation. June 12th, Loving Day, is now the largest multiracial celebration in this country. We know there is still a long, long way to travel on the moral arc of the universe. But Loving Day celebrates a time when that arc was bent toward justice. In 1952, the American Psychiatric Association listed homosexuality in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual as a mental disorder, where it remained until 1974. The Stonewall Inn, located on Christopher Street in Greenwich Village, was the only gay bar in New York City where dancing was allowed. The bar was 98% male, though there was a smaller room in the rear, a space where they could slip away to put on makeup and tease their hair, though they remained dressed in men's clothing. Only a very few males in full drag were allowed into the bar, and a very few lesbians chose to be there. The clientele raged in age from older teenagers to those in their early 30s, with an evenly distributed racial mix of black, Latinx, and white. Vice squads raids happened roughly monthly. At 1.20 a.m. on June 28, 1969, 205 people were inside the bar when four plainclothes policemen, two patrol officers in uniform, a detective, and the deputy inspector arrived at the Stonewall Inn's double doors and announced, police were taking the place. The music was turned off and the lights were turned on. 
Standard raid procedure was to line up the customers, check their ID, have the female officers take those dressed as women to the bathroom to verify their sex, and to arrest anyone appearing to be physically male but dressed as a woman. That night, the men in line refused to produce their identification, and the drag queens refused to go with the police. The police began to arrest everyone who was resisting. Those who were not arrested were released through the front door, but they did not leave. Within minutes, there were 100 and then 150 people gathered outside. Stormy Delivery, a self-described stone butch dyke, was handcuffed and escorted to the police wagon. She escaped repeatedly and fought with four officers swearing and shouting. When she shouted to the bystanders, why don't you guys do something? Their long trance was broken. When an officer picked her up and heaved her into the back of the wagon, the crowd went berserk and the scene became explosive. Marsha P. Johnson went to get Sylvia Rivera, who had been asleep, and the two drag queens and gay liberation activists kicked into high gear. Marsha climbed up a lamppost and dropped a bag with a brick in it down onto a police car, shattering the windshield. Sylvia said, You've been treating us like blank all these years, uh-huh. Now it's our turn. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. One witness said, all I could see about who was fighting was that it was drag queens, and they were fighting furiously. This is Stonewall patron, Michael Fader. We all had a collective feeling like we'd had enough of this kind of blank, he says. It wasn't anything tangible anyone said to anything else. It was just kind of like everything over the years had come to a head on that one particular night in that one particular place. Everyone in the crowd felt that we were never going back. It was like the last straw. It was time to reclaim something that had always been taken from us. All kinds of people, all different reasons, but mostly it was total outrage, anger, sorrow, everything combined, and everything just kind of ran its course. And we felt that we had the freedom at last, or freedom at least to show that we demanded freedom, we weren't going to be walking meekly in the night and letting them shove us around. It's like standing your ground for the first time in a really strong way, and that's what caught the police by surprise. There was something in the air, freedom a long time overdue, and we're going to fight for it. It took different forms, but the bottom line was we weren't going to go away, and we didn't. Suddenly, in the days that followed, Queer people were out, openly holding hands and displaying affection toward one another in broad daylight. As one witness said, from going to places where he had to knock on a door and speak to someone through a peephole in order to get in, we were just out. We were in the streets. And another, the word is out. The fags have had it with oppression. The Stonewall Riots struck the match that became the conflagration of the gay liberation movement and the fight for our rights. Within two years, there were queer rights groups in every major city in America, as well as Canada, Western Europe, and Australia. We know there is still a long, long way to travel on that arc toward justice for queer people.
But when we remember Stonewall, when we celebrate pride, we honor a time when queer people took the ark in their hands and bent it. And so I close with a call to action. May we, my friends, hear these stories of our ancestors as a call to courage, showing up, speaking up, shouting as we must, doing our part to further equality and justice for all. Let us take our place on that mighty ark, take it into our hands now, and ensure that in our lifetime, we do our part to bend it toward justice. In the words of James Weldon Johnson's Lift Every Voice and Sing, the Black National Anthem, we have come over a way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading the path through the blood of the slaughtered, out from the gloomy past, till now we stand at last where the white gleam of our star is cast. So help us, God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.